for joining us in the message entitled, The Sword of the Spirit, which is part nine of Mission Possible, a series on spiritual warfare. While they're heading out, if you take your Bibles out and turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews chapter 4. While you're finding your place there, this is not really uh, the subject of this morning's message, but just a follow-up on what uh, I felt like the Lord was saying during our time of worship. Somebody came up to me after and, and shared something else that I thought was really right on target. Uh, sometimes we get God gives us a vision for something to do, or we have a mission in our life, and it doesn't play out like we think that it should when it should. And many times that's what discourages us. You know, we, we want to be over there somewhere. We think we should be further with God than we are, but we're not. And we have to really be honest in our, with ourselves and realize I'm not where I thought I would be or where I think I should be with God. And sometimes that gets discouraging. And some of you are there this morning. You're discouraged because you think you should be somewhere different than where you are, further along than where you are. Uh, but as this person was sharing that with me, I, I couldn't help but think about Joseph. You know, God told Joseph that his brothers would bow down and worship him, the sun, the moon, and the stars, his mom, his dad, his brothers, all of them would come and bow before him, and they rebuked him. And it was a long, long time before that came to pass, and I know he had to be discouraged at times when he's sold into slavery, he's thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, then he's thrown into prison again, he's betrayed by the people that he helps in prison, and all of these things happen in his life before the vision finally came to pass. So just kind of as a, of a word of encouragement, folks, it's going to unveil as God wants it to. We just have to learn to trust Him, let go, just trust God, and wait on the Lord. Amen? Folks, I thought this building would be done by now. <laughs> I'm just excited to know that the concrete will get poured at this point. You know, but I've learned to say, God, there is a reason for everything you do. And I'm just learning to be patient and wait on you. We're working as hard as we can, and if it happens when it happens, it'll happen when it happens. Amen? And that's true about everything in our life. So don't be discouraged. I just keep hearing the Spirit say, let not your heart be troubled. All right. So maybe that's what I'm supposed to be preaching on today and not the subject that I'm going to address. But we got it out there anyway. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit today. How many like my sword, man? Hey, this is a cool sword. Listen to this. Can you hear that? I followed a kid all the way through the thrift store. He was playing with that thing. I was thinking, I hope he lays that down. Yeah. And when he did, it was like taking candy from a baby. Brother, I picked that thing up. I'm like, no, it's mine. You can't have it. No, his mom wouldn't buy it for him. Thank God. So I bought that. The Sword of the Spirit. We're on number five of the seven weapons mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. So I'm going to start out with reading that. You just hold your place in Hebrews there. I'll get there eventually. It's our, our uh, 
our text that we've been building on all this time during this series. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, we've examined five of these already. Uh, actually, the belt of the truth we've looked at, we have looked at uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, we've looked at having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We looked at the shield of faith. And last week we looked at the helmet of salvation. And today we're going to take a look at the sword of the Spirit. Now, when we look at the sword of the Spirit according to the Bible, what is that? Well, it tells us there that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But is it just that simple? I mean, can you take this book and actually defeat principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places with the book? And the answer is no, you can't. You can swing it around, you can throw it around, and, and actually you can even pull things out of it and recite it and speak it out, and it still may not do a whole lot of good. Because the Word of God, just in itself is not what he's talking about when he says it is the sword of the Spirit. So this morning we want to know, uh, what is the real purpose of the Word of God? When and how is that Word effective? Now, some people look at it and say, well, the purpose of it is it is both defensive as well as offensive. Because it is when we look at the, the armor of God, just about everything that you put on is defensive. It is to protect you, it is to defend you against the attack of the enemy. And so when we look at the sword of the Spirit, we think of it as an offensive weapon. But I, I thought about that, and I said, well, you know, that kind of goes contrary to the nature of God. Because God is not the offender. He is the defender. And even when people would go out into battle against Evil men, it was not, I mean, talking about the, the people of God, the children of God, when he would send them out, it was to defend them against the threat that was posed against them. It wasn't just to go out and, and do something evil. Because evil men attack the innocent. Now, good guys use swords, but they use it to defend. They use it to de eliminate the threat that is posed against them. So just in that, uh, that act that we would think would be offensive, actually, in truth, it is a defensive maneuver. Because we wouldn't be there if they hadn't started the fight to start with. If they weren't threatening you, right? I mean, we just want to be left alone pretty much and live at peace. I mean, only evil men want to go out and murder and mutilate. I mean, Satan started this fight. We didn't. 
The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus didn't come for that reason. His, his reason for here, being here is not offensive. It's defensive. Because He came to give you life and life more abundantly. So when we look at it in truth, the sword is always for defense. Because He's not going to go out and, and, and instruct you to go out and just murder and mutilate for no reason. Even in the Bible, when we see the children of Israel being sent in to annihilate entire cities and stuff, it was because they posed a threat against them. It was a defensive maneuver, not offensive, as some people may think when they think of the Word of God. So it is always defensive. Amen? Can you say that? It is always defensive. Say that with me. It is always defensive. Now, if we go to war, it should be because we were attacked or threatened. It's because they've attacked the innocent. So when we swing the sword, it is for your salvation and the salvation of others. Now, how much difference is it making in our life and in the lives of others? And that's the question we need to ask. When, if this is really the sword of the Spirit, what difference is it making in my life? And what difference is it making in the lives of others? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's pray before we get into that. Father... We thank you, God, this morning that you saw fit to bring the Word of God to man. And, Lord, you brought your Word and you put it right here before us so that we can read it, God. We can study it to show ourselves approved unto you, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing this Word of truth. Uh, but, Father, we don't want to just study it, God, and just rightly divide it. God, we want it illuminated to us, Lord. We want it revealed to us, O oh God. So we're praying this morning, Father, that you would just open the word to us in a way, God, that we've never seen it before. So that, Father, it really, truly makes a difference. Lord, I've just sensed this morning that there are so many people, Lord, wanting to be in a higher place with you, God. They want to be raised up in heavenly places to sit with you. As your word has declared, we we would be, Lord. And Father, we know that that will come through the revelation of your word. So reveal it to us today, God. God, make our hearts pliable and soft to receive it now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, when we think of the Bible, of the Scripture, the Holy Word of God, why is it that when some people use the Scripture, it doesn't seem to make any difference? I've heard preachers preach, and it was as dead and dry as last year's bird nest. I mean, the Word was good, and there was an anointing on the Word, but there was, it was just dead, it seemed like to me. I mean, I don't mean to be judgmental, but it just it didn't make any difference in my life and seemingly in the lives of those who heard it. And at the same time, another person can take the same Word and speak it and maybe not even execute it with, with the skill and talent as that person, but just speak it, and it just it has power in it. Why is that? That one person has no power, the other does have power. We see great preachers and singers that seem like they have no power, and other people that are not such great preachers or great singers, and they do have power. For example, you can, you can listen to some people, and I mean they can execute the Word of God as hermeneutically, homiletically, apologetically perfect. But it does nothing in your heart. And then you take another person, like Heidi Baker, for example. With all her degrees and doctorates and her studies and her intelligent brain, she gets in front of an auditorium full of pastors 
She said she couldn't wait for this opportunity to share. And she had all of her notes. And when she got there, the Spirit of the Lord hit her. And all she could say was too big, too small. Too big, too small. Too big, too small. Too big, too small. And that's all God would let her say. And she thought, Lord, these ministers are going to think I am crazy. But a conviction came on that place. And she fell to her face behind that pulpit and just wept before God. Now, when we look at that, that wasn't some great speaker delivering some powerful message. But there was power in what she said. What is the difference? Some people can get up and they can sing, and I mean they've got a range that is out of this world. They hit every note with perfection. Got a voice like an angel. But you are not moved when they sing. And then I remember hearing a guy named David Ring. I don't know if you know who he is. Some of, how many of you know who David Ring is? He was born with cerebral palsy. And he lost his mother and his father. And each time he would pray, God, please don't take my mama. And she died. Please don't take my daddy. And he died. And he can't talk plain. And he, he walks like this. And his body is contorted. And, and he stands up and he, he says, I got cerebral palsy. What is your excuse? And then at the end of his sermon, he can't sing a note on key. But he starts singing, shackled by a heavy burden, loaded down with care. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. He touched me and made me whole. And brother, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Why can somebody sing with such perfection and beauty and there's no power? And somebody like that sing and they can't sing on key. But there's power in what they do. What is the difference? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Because to some of us, the sword of the Spirit is about as sharp as this thing right here made out of plastic. It may as well be a stick. It won't cut anything. And to the other people, man, the thing is sharp and every time they wield it, it's slicing and dicing and cutting something in the Spirit. Amen? So what is the difference? We look sometimes when uh, at, at events in our life when we have shared the Word of God and it's cut. There was power in it. It's another question I had. It's other times you share the same Word and it doesn't seem to make any difference. These are another question that I have. Why is that? And so kind of to answer some of these questions, I, I wanted to look into the Word of God and see if we can't come up with some, some reasons for all of this and see what we can do so that there's power in our words. Uh, now, to do that, we, we, I hate to do this to you because I know some of you kind of get bogged down when you go into the Greek, but you really have to look at some of the Greek definitions to understand what is being said here when you talk about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. There are actually four words that are used in the Greek to describe what we interpret as the Word. Uh, the, the first one is graphea. The graphea, or, or graphe, is actually the Scripture. Every, many times we see the word 
uh, translated scripture in the Bible, it is the Greek word graphia. In 2 Timothy 3.16 where he says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The word there is graphia. And it just simply means the written word. We see it also in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where he says that the, the Scripture was not given by private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Grapheia, what he's saying is the written word. But the written word is also the Logos. The word Logos means the living word. We see in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the Logos. The Word, the Logos, was with God, and the Logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus was the living Word. All right? He was the Logos. So you've got the Grapheia, the Logos. And then Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, what is being used there is another Greek word. The word is rhema. And it means something that has been spoken into your ear, basically. That's the literal meaning of that. Something that has been spoken into your ear. We usually refer to rhema as the revealed word of God. So you can take, you can take the grapha, the logos, the living word, and you can read it and it can do absolutely nothing to you. But... You can read the same scripture over and over and over and over again. And then one day you read that and suddenly it just like leaps off of the page. And it says something to the situation that you're facing and it speaks to that situation. That scripture has no longer, it's no longer Logos, it has become Rhema. God has just spoken that word into that situation that you're facing and it gives you power to be able to face it and get victory over it. And it becomes, the last word is the word zoe, the word for life. So when the, when the word, the logos, becomes revealed to us, it becomes life. And when it is revealed in us and we speak it out, we're speaking out life. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are life. They speak life. And so those are the four words. Now, many people in the world... They quote the Bible. There are college professors that don't profess to be Christians. In fact, some of them profess to be atheists. And they know this book pretty good. And they can read it and quote it, but it is nothing to them but a piece of ancient literature. And that's all. There's no power in it. There's no life in it. And when they speak it out, it is just dead because there's no life in it. When they read it or recite it, it is not a sword. It is simply grapha, the written word. And the reason the Bible tells us is because it's not mixed with faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, verse 1, if you want to look at that with me. You're already there in Hebrews 4. Are you there? Say, uh-huh. It says, Let us therefore, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So if a person quotes the Scripture or hears it, but he doesn't have faith, it's not going to do anything for him. You say, well, why is it sometimes when I speak, and man, it cuts. 
You know, there's power in it. I mean, sometimes when I preach, I can see the look on people's face and I can tell that God is ministering to those people. I know that the words that I'm speaking, they have life. They have zoe. I can tell. I can see the countenance on people's face and tell God is ministering to them. Other times I preach and I look out and it's like everybody is a statue. And I'm saying, all right, God, where's the word? What's it doing here? It doesn't seem to be doing anything. Well, is it because there's no life in me? Or is it because the word being heard is not being mixed with faith? Because Jesus spoke many times. And if anybody spoke words of life, come on, it was him. But he said many times it fell on deaf ears. They didn't hear because they would not mix it with faith. So it offers life to those who actually hear it and mix it with faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 is where I've been trying to get all morning. So here we are. I told you I'd get there eventually. (laughs) It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. That means it's living and it's active. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Whoa. I was thinking about that this week. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You say, well, pastor, I mix words with faith, but the word doesn't always seem to be alive and active in me. Why is that? Well, let's look at it. There are two things that are being described here in Hebrews chapter 4. He said, first of all, we understand that the word is defensive. It's all, the sword is always for defense, right? It's always for defense. But in the scripture, he says the word of God is quick, powerful, and it's sharp. It pierces to divide. You have to see that there is a division made when the word of God comes in. It divides the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow. And it separates the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So there is a division being made. That's the first thing that he's doing. And he's doing that in order that it may defend something. If it's always defensive, you have to say, all right, what is it defending then? It is separating the soul from the spirit. One of them has to be the attacker or the aggressor or the offender. The other has to be the innocent or the one that needs defending. So the word of God comes in and it separates my soul, which is the enemy of my spirit. The Bible says the soul of man is the enemy of God. It is the enemy of our spirit. Why? Because my spirit wants to serve God, but my my soul wants to serve my nasty, stinking, dirty, black-hearted flesh. And do all the things that my flesh wants to do. So the Word of God comes in, and when it does, it's a light. And it reveals what is really in my heart. And I see, when it comes in and the light comes on, I see that my soul is not like my spirit. I see that even though I'm doing the works in my joint, my skeleton is working, there's no life in it. 
The marrow is where the life is at. So it shows the difference between what is really alive and what is just actions, just motions, just going through the motions, the joints. It shows you what is really, really the soulish, ungodly part of man and what is the spiritual part of man. And it separates the two so that it can destroy one that the other may live. Is that making sense to you? I'm trying to bring this across as clear as I can. So the sword is defending one and it is destroying the other. Now, one prevailing problem that we have as Christians, we take the Word of God. It's the Logos. We all understand that. We know that the, the Word of God is alive. Amen? It's, it's the living Word of God. That it has power. I mean, when we speak the Word of God, it changes something in the hearts of men. We know that the Word has power. We mix it with faith. And a lot of times we execute it and we preach it with passion and zeal. But it doesn't do anything. Because we have one problem every Christian faces. And that is declaring the Word out of an impure vessel. The outward man is so much stronger than the inward man. And so the Word of God is sent to separate the two so that we can destroy the outward man and strengthen the inward man. Now, I believe the clearest voice on this subject was a man by the name of Watchmani. Has anybody ever heard of him? How many of you raise your hands real high if you've heard of Watchmani? If you haven't, let me encourage you. If you've got access to the Internet, go on and Google Watchman, W-A-T-C-H-M-A-N, Watchman, N-E-E, Watchmani. That's not his birth name, but that is, his, that is actually the name that he changed to when he became a Christian. Uh, one of his books, Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee, was a required reading in Bible college. And what an incredible revelation this man had about spiritual things. And I encourage you to go. You can go online and read many of his books right there online. It won't cost you a penny. And I encourage you to type Watchman E and the Sword of the Spirit. And you can read a lot of things that I'm not going to read this morning. Uh, Let me tell you just a little bit about who this man was. Uh, He was actually born in 1903. His name was Nishutsu, which in English means Henry Ni. He changed his name to Tushing in Chinese, which means Watchman's Rattle. Because he believed that he was a watchman raised up to sound a warning call in a dark night in China. Born in 1903 at age 17, he was a wild, rowdy son of a Christian mom and dad. And his mom, when he was born, gave him to the Lord. And at age 17, he heard the Word of God. It became alive in him and he repented before God and immediately started into the ministry. For 32 years, he, he ministered. He uh, wrote dozens of books, traveled all over China ministering. And he was, in 1952, he was arrested for preaching the gospel in communist China. He was falsely condemned and sentenced to 15 years in prison. 16 years after he had been in prison, they still hadn't released, released him. He, uh, he died in prison on May the 30th, 1972, at age 69. At his arrest in 1959, there was over uh, there was over 400 churches raised up in China, 
In over 30 churches, he had raised up in the Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Indonesia. Now, 38 years after his death, <clears throat> today over 2,300 churches are active and growing worldwide as a result of his ministry. Now, he wrote a lot of material on spiritual uh, insight. And his commentary on Ephesians 4.12, this is what he writes. Are you still with me? Say, uh-huh. Because I want you to hear this. Be alert. How rare it is these days to find a pure spirit. Usually, whenever our spirit comes forth, so does our soul. They are mixed. So the first requirement in God's Word is a pure, not a powerful spirit. I want that to soak in a minute. The first thing God wants to do is give you a pure spirit, not a powerful one. Because there are many people that are powerful men of God, but they're not pure. I have listened to some powerful ministries and then find out the guy's in some kind of sin, secret, hidden sin. And you think, not him, surely not him. Look at the anointing, look at the power. So the first thing, watch me, he says, the first thing for God's Word to do is to make a pure heart, not a powerful one. Goes on to say, those who neglect this, though their work may be done in power, will find it destroyed due to the lack of purity. Though they may truly possess the power of God, yet because their spirit is mixed, they are destroying what they build. Let us see if we can understand how this is. Some may think that as long as they receive power from God, all their natural abilities will be owned of Him. Not so. The more we know God, the more we know and love a pure spirit. A purity which allows no mingling of the outward with the inward. One whose outward man has not been dealt with cannot expect the power that flows from within him to be pure. For spiritual power is to be, uh, for spiritual power to be mixed as it comes from oneself, even if the result seems good, constitutes a sin before God. Many young brethren, knowing well that the gospel is the power of God, still insinuate their own cleverness and their jest and their personal feelings into their preaching of the gospel. Thus, people touch them as well as God's power. Though they themselves may not sense it, others with a pure spirit will instantly detect such impurity. Now let me stop there and just tell you what's, what that's saying. When somebody has the ability to deliver the Word of God and to move people emotionally, they may think they're doing that through the power of God. But if there is impurity in their life, what it is saying is people that are sitting there and their spirit is pure, they're going to pick up on it right off that there is something not right about this. It sounds right. It looks right. He's saying the right things, but there's something wrong. How many of you have ever had that happen? Said it all looks right. It all sounds right. But there's something wrong here. And it is because it is coming out of a tainted vessel, something that is impure. How often our zeal in labor is mixed with natural pleasure. We are doing the will of God because it happens to coincide with ours. 
In standing firm for God, we are merely expressing our strong personality. Since our greatest problem is impurity, God must so work in our lives that our outward man is broken and we are refined of our impurities. While God is breaking our hard outer shell, He is also doing the work of refining. Thus we see His twofold dealings with us, breaking down the outward man and dividing it from the Spirit. The first is done through the discipline of the Holy Spirit, while the latter is through the Spirit's revelation. And I could go on. I mean, you should read all that he has to say about it. It's, you, when you get through reading it, you, you can't help but just fall on your face and say, Woe is me, Lord, because I am a man of unclean lips, like Isaiah said. Take the coal from the altar, God, and touch my lips and make me pure. Go and read it. I encourage you. You see, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, is to separate the outward from the inward. That's the purpose of it. He said it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is to separate the outward man from the inward man. That's what he's talking about. To separate it. It separates flesh from spirit, that which is dead from that which is living. The things that we think from the real motivations of our thinking. And this is all done through revelation, through the rhema. That's why it's so important not to just stop with the Logos, but God, make this word come alive. Lord, I want to see what's it really saying to me. Matthew chapter 16, we see an example of that. Jesus is with His, with his disciples and He says, Who do men say that I am? And you've heard it. Some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Peter said you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is it saying? He's saying that revelation that you just got, Peter, that rhema, that revealed word, that you just received is what I'm going to build my church on. And it is going to be the very thing that defeats the enemy. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. Friend, you can read this, and if it doesn't come alive to you, the devil can box your ears in. But when it does come alive, come on somebody, when it comes alive, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Because, what did he say? No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. How do I know that? Because it came alive in my heart. And it's that revelation knowledge that defeats him. When he comes with all of his lies and we say, Oh, no, 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 I'm not believing that. Because I know what God said and he's revealed his truth to me. And he says that you are a liar and the father of all lies. So Ramel will be the sword of the Spirit and will defeat the enemy when it is revealed in our heart. The Word of God is, is only a sword to those who actually see it, those to whom it has been revealed. Now we said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9, we see the word Scripture, which is the grapha. But I want you to look at what it says. It says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed. Everybody say that. Take heed. What does that mean? You see it. You do well that you see it. 
Don't just read it, but see what it really is saying. Choose to see. Ask God, Lord, how do I measure up in light of this word? And take an honest look at yourself. Man, I read some scripture sometimes and I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. God, I don't do that. Honestly, before you. I'm not there, Lord. And so the Word has just become a mirror. And the reflection that I see doesn't look like Jesus. It's ugly. It's dark and sinister. And so that's what he's saying. He says, you do well that you take heed, that you see it. You ask yourself, what do I see here? So he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise. Where? In your heart. Where's the dark place that he wants his word to shine? Are you hearing me, church? He said, you do well that you look into the Word until it becomes a light that shines in this dark place. And it reveals the difference between my spirit and my soul, between my actions and what is really alive or not alive. And so we do well that we, we look at that and say, God, please reveal Your Word to me. Revelation enables us to see what God sees. Now, verse 13, he said in Hebrews chapter 4, I'm almost done. Are you still with me? Say, uh-huh. He says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, what God sees, because I am his child, he wants to show that to me. He wants me to see that. We see that in 1 Corinthians. I hate to read all this, but you don't mind if I read the Bible, do you? 1 Corinthians, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech, of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimonies of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. It wasn't soulish. It wasn't just what I thought. But it was the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should stand, not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. For those that have a pure spirit. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Now look this way and listen. I'm going to read a little bit more, but I want you to hear this. He said, all things lay open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He sees it all. 
And He reveals it to you. Are you hearing me, church? He wants to reveal what's in here to you. He wants to show you the darkness of your heart so that His light can shine in there. That's what He's saying. He has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Friend, I can know this Word. You can know it. Not just the Logos, the Rhema. The revealed living Word that shines light in my dark heart. You can know it. Amen? Man, y'all sitting there awful quiet. I feel preach coming on here. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Verse 13, Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you hear that? We have the mind of Christ. So when I read this, brother, I want you to know the one that wrote it is right here with me. To teach it to me. And if I want to know what it is saying and I hunger for it, He will instruct me in it. Because He promised me He would. And so you're reading it and you're reading it and sometimes you go to the Word and you just you need an answer. Maybe you're facing something. A problem and you read it. And you, don't, may, you may not get it just like that. You may have to press in and do a little study. And you may have to get a whole lot of the world off of you. So that you can come apart and be separated unto Him for a little while. Start reading it, and all of a sudden, brother, I mean, you're just ready to have a throw-down shouting time. Because God just speaks something to you that answers your question, solves your problem, gives you faith and hope and strength to press on. Anybody ever experienced that? Man, y'all are awful quiet this morning. One last statement. I'm going to close with this. Watch me. He said, all things are naked and laid bare before Him. Any covering is upon our eyes, not God's. When God opens our eyes that we may know the intent of our heart and the deepest thoughts within us, in the measure that He Himself knows us, this is revelation. As we are naked and laid bare before Him, so are we before ourselves as we receive revelation. This is revelation. To allow us to see what our Lord sees. Should God be merciful to us and grant us even a small measure of revelation so that we can see ourselves as we are seen by Him, we shall immediately be smitten to the ground. We need not try to be humble. Those who live in the light cannot be proud. It is only while dwelling in darkness that we can be proud. Outside of God's light, men can be arrogant and haughty. 
But under the revelation of His light, they can only prostrate themselves before Him. Such a seeing delivers you from the dead weight of self. Seeing is His dealing. The Word of God is effective. For it enlightens you to casting off of the outer man. It is not that after you have heard the Word of God, you gradually change yourself, as if seeing is one step and casting off another. No. Enlightenment is casting off. The two occur simultaneously. As soon as the light strikes, the flesh is dead. No flesh can live in that light. The moment one comes into the light, he prostrates himself. The light has dried up his flesh. Beloved, this is effectiveness. And indeed, the Word of God is living and operative. God does not speak and then wait for you to produce. His Word is effective in your life. Man, what a revelation that brother has. Watch me. You've got to read some of his work. So where are we this morning? Is this Bible, this book, just a grapha? Just written words on paper? Or have we gone a step further and we acknowledge the fact, no, this is a living word. Man, when I speak, when I read this, when I read this, the author is present with me. And he speaks these words living off of those pages to me. It is the Logos, the living word. It has power. But have I used it as a mirror to look at the image of myself? Because you see, I can say, well, no, it's not just the written word. I understand it's living word. But do I pick it up and say, all right, I know it's powerful. I know it's living. But it is a mirror. Am I willing to take a look at the reflection that I see in the Word of God? Because I'm going to tell you, folks, if you haven't, be prepared for, for a shock. Because when we really get honest with ourselves and look into the mirror of His Word, we're going to have some serious repenting to do. Why do your words cut away at your own self? Why do they cut away in the hearts of others? Because it's become rhema. Friend, if it never becomes revealed to you, it's not going to make a change in your heart and it definitely won't make a change in other people's hearts. It needs to be rhema. When it becomes rhema, then the words that you speak will be spirit and life, just like Jesus said. The words that I speak, they're spirit in their life. That's why a man like David Ring can get up and sing not a single note on key, but minister to every single person that hears it. Now, folks, I don't like bad music. I like good music. And if somebody's messing up a song, I'm like, wow, boy, that's painful. Like hearing a dying cow, you know. <laughs> But when that brother got up and sung, not a note on key, there was power in what he said. It was pleasure to my ear. Because it was spirit. And it was zoe. It was life. That's why when Heidi Baker can get up and not even deliver a message in front of all of her peers, but just say, men, you, this is too big. And your heart is too small. And there's power in it. Because it's revelation. The sword of the Spirit is the revealed Word of God. Breathed from our spirit 
and released from our mouth. Mingled with and energized by the breath of God. Causing it to be filled with divine life and ability. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. Stand to your feet if you would please. We think of the sword of the Spirit. It's not just the Bible. It is the Bible revealed in the hearts of a pure vessel and then released out of that pure heart mingled with the life and breath of God. And brother, when we do that, it executes life. To those that hear it. Amen. The sword of the Spirit. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to share your word. God, I feel so inadequate to do what has been required of me today. Lord, when I read the writings of a great, great man of God. Watch my knee. Lord, who just gave his whole life for you, Lord. Many of the years spent in a labor camp. Just laboring, laboring, laboring. The last thing he pinned on paper, God, they found under his pillow was that Jesus Christ was crucified for men. And it is for this message that I give my life. God, I'm so convicted because I look into the mirror of your word, God, and I see all the areas in my life that needs work. And Lord, I just know that here this morning there are people God, when they are willing to look into the mirror of your word, the reflection that they see doesn't always look like you. So this morning, Lord, I just pray, God, that something that I have said, Lord, has caused us to hunger for you just a little bit more. God, to desire your word just a little bit more. Father, when we saying praises to you this morning. I just sense, God, that there were people saying, I don't feel like I'm where I need to be with you, God, but I want to be. And just maybe, Lord, just maybe somehow through this Word we can see a little bit clearer of why we're not there. God, are there things in our life that we have not yet let the Word of God deal with? We haven't been willing to look at. God, maybe there's unforgiveness or bitterness, Lord. Maybe there's some anger issues that we haven't dealt with, Lord. Father, maybe we've been offended by someone, Lord, and we harbor that offense. God, maybe there's some struggles that we have, Lord, with just physical things, addictions and other things, Lord, that are just totally, completely natural and physical that we haven't dealt with, God. We just haven't let you deal with those things in our life. Father, I just pray this morning that you just draw us right now to be willing to give up this carnal, outward man and say, Lord, I want your word to make me pure inside. Send your word right now, God, to do a finished work in our heart. Father, as we yield ourselves to you, 
God, help us to be willing to wait upon You. To work out those things. God, You said all things work together for good to those that love You and are called according to Your purpose. And just like, Father, You spoke to our dear sister that sometimes we get discouraged when those things don't happen right away. Lord, help us to just be patient and trusting, Lord, knowing that You are working in our life. Work in us now. Holy Spirit of God, we welcome You right now to just speak to every person's heart. Show us exactly where we are with You, God. As you just consider Your walk with the Lord and the place where You are with Christ right now, are you pleased with where you are in Christ? Are you? Because folks, listen to me. We can say, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I've given my life to Him. Yeah, I know there's sin in my life. But... If you can say that with that much of a light-hearted attitude, can I just say something to you? The Word of God has not become a revelation to you. It really hasn't. Because what Brother Nee was saying is when that light comes on, when it comes on, and we really see the condition of our heart measured against His Word, we can do nothing but fall prostrate before Him and say, Oh God, Oh God, please forgive me. So before I close, would you just bow your head and just ask God, Say, Lord, show me where I stand with you today in light of your word. God, is my outward man so mingled with my spirit that I need your word to come in and separate the two? Is there so much impurity in my spirit? Yes, I am a Christian, but God, there's so much natural man in me, so much outward man in me, that I need Your Spirit, Your Word, God, to come in and separate my soul and my spirit. Put to death that enemy of my spirit, God. That outward man. God, I'm doing the works. My joints are moving. The skeleton is in place, but there's no marrow in my bones. There's no life there. And God, I need You to come and bring life into my man. God, bring life into my Would you be honest and say, God, where do I stand with you today? Am I pleasing to you, O God? Father, we leave this word ears and hearts of your people. God, those that may be hearing this via the internet, Lord, we pray that you, your word would be a seed. 
God, you declared that your word would not return unto you void, but it would accomplish that which you please. And God, you said that it would prosper in the thing whereunto you sent it. So, Father, we plant your word today. God, we pray that it will just grow and increase. Father, may over the weeks and months ahead as we open the word of God and we read it, Father, that it will just come alive, God, and be raiment to our spirit, man. Make it real, Lord. Father, I pray that in my own personal Bible study, Lord, that you reveal any dark place in my heart, God. Lord, let us take heed to your word until that light shines in that dark place and the day dawns in our heart. I ask this now in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, as we leave this place, God, I pray, God, that we don't walk out and just say, well, that was a good word today, and just be forgetful hearers. But, Lord, help us to be a doer of the Word, not a hearer only, deceiving our own selves. And, God, we take it to heart now. In Jesus' name. Father, I bless your people. I bless them, Lord. I bless their home. Make it a place of refuge, Lord. An escape from the world. A place where you are honored and revered. A place where you are welcomed. We reverence you there. In Jesus' mighty name.